Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. We have breaking news this morning. The International Court of Justice released its preliminary ruling, and we're also going to be joined here uh, by Trita Parsi to talk about the, the ruling, which has is being heralded as a victory for South Africa uh, because it, the court has allowed the case to go forward. I'm, I'm kind of new with, with some of these devices here, so I'm going to try to put this, uh, this clip up here. Uh, as, as the Huffington Post is calling it, UN stunner top court finds genocide risk in Gaza. The court has given Israel one month to change its military operation to reduce the risk uh, of genocide. It found that there is a that South Africa has made a plausible case. Let me play real quickly a little bit from the American judge, uh, who uh, is, who issued the ruling, which we do not have yet in kind of full PDF form, but they issued it. Uh, from The Hague, here we go. In the court's view, the aforementioned facts and circumstances are sufficient to conclude that at least some of the rights claimed by South Africa and for which it is seeking protection are plausible. This is the case with respect to the right of Palestinians in Gaza to be protected from acts of genocide and related prohibited acts identified in Article 3 and the right of South Africa to seek Israel's compliance with the latter's obligations under the convention. And, and so we're joined now uh, by uh, Trita Parsi, uh, who, let me, let me pull up, Trita, what you had said in a, in a, in a breaking fashion. You wrote, uh, the ICJ just ruled against Israel and determined that South Africa successfully argued that Israel's conduct plausibly could constitute genocide. The, this is a devastating blow to Israel's global standing. Unpack that for us. Why is this considered a devastating blow when South Africa's uh, uh, most kind of expansive demand was an immediate cessation of all hostilities? Thank you so much, Ryan. Good good to be with you. Uh, This is still devastating. Uh, The fact that South Africa asked for all of those things, of course, in an immediate cessation, um, uh, was a bit optimistic at the end of the day. But what the court has ruled is overwhelmingly in favor of uh, South Africa. And also the division between the judges was, I think, 
uh, stronger than expected. It was essentially only two judges that at times objected to um, uh, the ruling. Uh, this is devastating because at the end of the day, this means that the South Africans have made a plausible case that genocide is taking place. Genocide is the crime of all crimes. You have to put yourself in Israel's position in terms of a historical effort by the Israelis to break out of its international isolation, which has largely been very successful. Remember, up until 1991, most countries in the world did not recognize Israel, did not have the diplomatic relations with Israel. Uh, that all changed because of the Oslo process, and since then it's been very, very successful, and Israel has been able to normalize itself very to a very large extent, at least in the West. Now you have Israel, in the last couple of years, increasingly being associated with apartheid. That term is increasingly publicly being used to describe it, and now you also have uh, a, a genocide ruling against it. Of course, the final ruling has not come in yet, but uh, essentially enough evidence has been presented to warrant the court to say that an injunction is needed and this needs to be investigated further. What that will do to Israel's international isolation and standing, I think is going to be very significant. And if I could just add one point, Ryan, sure. keep in mind, in the last couple of years, they have worked so hard to delegitimize the BDS movement and, and, and uh, pass laws against it, laws that are arguably unconstitutional in the United States. And this has not been done because they were worried about the economic impact of the BDS movement on Israel. It's because of the diplomatic and political impact in terms of essentially delegitimizing Israel. Well, nothing has delegitimized Israel more than this court ruling and the fact that one of the primary evidence that was being used in the court was Israeli political statements themselves that were used against Israel in order to show the intent for genocide. Let me play a response real quickly uh, from, uh, from Netanyahu here, if I can. Israel's commitment to international law is unwavering. Equally unwavering is our sacred commitment to continue to defend our country and defend our people. Like every country, Israel has an inherent right to defend itself. The vile attempt to deny Israel this fundamental right is blatant discrimination against the Jewish state, and it was justly rejected. The charge of genocide leveled against Israel is not only false, it's outrageous and decent people everywhere should reject it. On the eve of the International Holocaust Remembrance Day, I again pledge as Israel's Prime Minister, never again. Israel will continue to defend itself against Hamas, a genocidal terror organization. On October 7th, Hamas perpetrated the most horrific atrocities against the Jewish people since the Holocaust, and it vows to repeat these atrocities again. again. The war is against Hamas terrorists not against Palestinian civilians. We will continue to facilitate humanitarian assistance and to do our utmost to keep civilians out of harm's way, even as Hamas uses civilians as human shields. We will continue to do what is necessary to defend our country and defend All our right, people. So that's uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu responding, uh, calling it discrimination, calling it outrageous, uh, pledging to continue the war effort. Uh, what, what did you make of his response there? It's very defensive and very predictable, of course. And at the end of the day, uh, the court is not in any way, shape, or form saying that Israel doesn't have a right to defend itself. But what it is saying is that what Israel calls defense is plausibly genocide and that it needs to investigate that further. And it's giving the Israelis, as you mentioned, 30 days to address some of these things. And it also calls on Israel to prosecute 
those members of government that have been making genocidal statements. That includes Benjamin Netanyahu. This is putting the United States in a very significant bind because as the court reminded Israel, its rulings are binding, but it is the Security Council that is uh, tasked with enforcing uh, the implementation of this. And that means that there's very likely going to be a resolution at the UN Security Council uh, this coming week, and it presents the United States once again with that dilemma. Does it actually stand with international law um, and, and approve this, or does it go against it, further isolating the U.S. by casting I it? I pick up on that exact point, because the New York Times wrote uh, in, its, in its fairly slanted report on, on this uh, on this ruling, at one point they wrote, the court has no means of enforcement, and it is not clear how Israel will respond to the decision. Well, we now have Netanyahu's response. But you would never see the New York Times write, the Supreme Court has uh, you know, overturned Roe v. Wade, but it has no means of enforcement. Although that is true. Like Alexander Hamilton made that point about the Supreme Court. Andrew Jackson has made that point about the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has made its ruling. Now let it enforce it. It has no actual mechanism of enforcement other than the kind of norms uh, around the court and the respect that other institutions have for the court rulings and the respect that the, the population has for the court rulings. So it is not true that the court has no means of enforcement. It has The United Nations does, in fact, have means of enforcing its rulings. So the question is, can it enforce those rulings? And so what are the means of enforcing those rulings? And what process can we look for going forward? So Israel has in one month, Israel has to report back to the court, let's presume they continue to participate with this process. What then happens if the court in a month decides that Israel is not taking uh, steps to uh, minimize the risk of genocide? So what I think will happen first is that you will have a UN Security Council resolution. The Algerians are already discussing it. Um, and that would then adopt the ruling and essentially give it the enforcement uh, capability of the UN Security Council. Again, binding international law. Uh, and again, will the United States veto that again uh, as it has vetoed previous calls for ceasefire? And, and this is really, um, you know, it, it's stretching the, the, the ability to be able to tolerate the double standards of the U.S.'s conduct when it comes to matters of this kind. Uh, if the Israelis then come back uh, with a report, uh, it's a question as to whether they will. They may actually choose not to engage at all uh, and try to dismiss the legitimacy of the, case, uh, the court altogether. But if they come back and it is not acceptable, I mean, it's going to be a legal wrangling for quite some time. But the, the issue is that the political consequences and costs for Israel will continue as long as this is a live case and they're not living up to what the court is demanding. And that is going to inflict the political cost on the U.S., even more so perhaps on the Europeans, for, from whom you know international law and international institutions actually matter much more than it does to the U.S. political uh, culture. Um, and, and this has just become a massive headache. And, and I've asked this on your show before, for what? For what reason are we accepting paying all of these different costs when there actually is a pathway to a ceasefire that actually couldn't put an end to not only the fighting to the plausible cases of genocide, but also to the political dilemmas that the U.S. is uh, inflicting on itself. As well, that I uh, earlier today, where you said that you thought that so far uh, the ICJ in South Africa have had more influence on Israel's actual behavior so far than the Biden administration. What change in behavior have 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 we seen that you think? can be linked to, uh, to this international effort? 
we saw a very clear effort by the Israelis to try to ethnically cleanse Gaza by pushing the Egyptians and the Jordanians, uh, as well as some African countries, trying to see if they would take essentially two million Gazans uh, and they would depopulate Gaza. Uh, we have seen a decline in those efforts, certainly a decline in the public uh, statements about that. I think it is quite reasonable to suspect that that has something to do with the court, because if the court is investigating uh, Israeli war crimes, and in the midst of that, the Israelis are very openly uh, lobbying to see if countries will aid them in ethnically cleansing Gaza, that's obviously not going to be helpful for them in the case. And if that is the case, and that suggests that this idea that international law is completely toothless, uh, in this specific case, you know, just the mere application of South Africa's um, uh, uh, complaint to the ICG may have had a greater impact on Israel's conduct than what the Biden administration claims that it has achieved with all of its uh, quiet and whispers Mattress, in the background. Uh, who you know, uh, who, is the, uh, uh, who is with the Center for International Policy, has released a statement I want to read real quickly. He said, today's ruling of the International Criminal Court, which ordered Israel to undertake provisional measures to ensure that Palestinians in Gaza are protected from acts of genocide, is enormously significant. International legal fora, such as the ICJ, are appropriate venues for the handling of such consequential matters, especially in situations as dire as that in Gaza. If we support the creation of a global community based on shared rules rather than simply might makes right, it is absolutely essential that all countries, including the United States, acknowledge the legitimacy of this ruling and take necessary steps in response. And and to that point, I wanted to uh, last question because I know you, you got to run, and I appreciate you jumping on with us early this morning. I wanted to uh, pl quickly play uh, my exchange yesterday uh, with State Department's uh, spokesperson Vinant Patel about this exact question of whether or not uh, the U.S. would respect whatever the ruling was um, the, the next day. Here, here, I'll play that and then get your response. And up, go ahead. To the ICJ question, yeah. setting aside opining on how the how the preliminary verdict might come out, would the U.S. at least commit to not vetoing enforcement of whatever the court? rules one way or the other uh, i'm not going to commit to any action uh from up from up here that's but to not pick up on matt's question works. from earlier do, doesn't that undermine the u.s insist u.s insistence that other countries ought to follow these court rulings what does it leave of the kind of rules-based order if countries can pick and choose decisions that's certainly not uh what uh i was indicating uh Again, I think we need to take a step back here because a uh, decision has not come down and no one uh, here knows, unless you can tell the future, what exactly that will be. Um, I'm not gonna commit any US government action uh, from up here within the um, auspices of any body. Uh, what I can say is that we believe that the, uh, um, uh, the, the allegations that started this process that israel is committing genocide we believe those to be unfounded uh simultaneously though we'll continue to raise with our israeli partners the moral and strategic imperative that they take additional uh steps to minimize uh, deaths right, on civilians that's that's more or less his his response uh how do you how do you feel the state department will uh, evolve after today's actual ruling now that they can't do the well we don't know how they're going to rule I, mean, I think it's been problematic enough for the State Department to continue to defend the U.S.'s um, refusal to push Israel uh, in the direction of a ceasefire already. This is just going to make matters worse.
let me make two points on this. First of all, it is quite fascinating. I don't remember exact numbers, but we looked into it. That senior Biden administration officials have more or less stopped using the term rules-based international order since October 7th. There's been a significant decline. And that tells you something, uh, a clear awareness in there uh, that they know very well, that there is no consistency whatsoever. And there's no uh, legitimacy or credibility talking about it, given how the United States under Biden has acted on this. Uh, in the case of Gaza. And it's been the time frame is so short after, you know, Russia's illegal invasion of Ukraine. So that the, the discrepancy, the double standards are just so blatant. Secondly, uh, I think it's also important to note here that Biden's bear hog, unconditional support for Israel uh, in all of this may actually have contributed to this. Because had Biden adopted a more measured approach and actually pushed back against Israeli excesses, in a much more potent way. The Israelis may not have ended up engaging in activities that the court then would find plausibly constituting a, a, a genocide. And, and that, I think, tells you again how problematic it is when the United States gives blank checks to some of its partners, whether it's Israel, Saudi Arabia, or whoever. It undermines U.S. national interest and security. It certainly undermines the, 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 the partner's interest as well, because look at where Israel is finding itself right now. So paradoxically, perhaps, uh, the, the very excessive amount of support that Biden has provided Israel with has actually backfired in the final analysis and undermined it. Trita Parsi, thank you so much. Trita, Trita is the executive vice president at the Quincy Institute uh, for Responsible Statecraft. I'm Ryan Grimm. I'm the Washington Bureau Chief for The Intercept and also co-host of Counterpoints. You can watch Breaking Points uh, every morning at YouTube, Spotify, and elsewhere. You can go to actually go to breakingpoints.com. We have a 25% off our uh, premium memberships right now, which enable us to do uh, this reporting. And I've got my book right here behind me, which uh, the la final final plug that the squad AOC and the hope of a political revolution, which is heavily about the way that the pro-Israel lobby has uh, shaped what is possible within um, Democratic Party discourse when it comes to Israel-Palestine. Uh, so, Trita, once again, uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning. This is, is fascinating. We're going to continue to cover this. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.